May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. It, um, it feels very warm in here. I can, I can feel the judgment. Is that me? Or it, it seems warm. Uh, well, it's the changing of the seasons, and so that's, that's what we get. In our gospel reading this morning from Mark chapter 10, uh, we hear James and John make an audacious request. They ask Jesus to let one of them sit at his right hand and the other at his left when he comes into his glory. Well, the other ten disciples are understandably indignant. Wouldn't you be? Just who do James and John think they are to request such a thing? But the fact of the matter is that James and John had the boldness to ask aloud what all of the other disciples wanted in their hearts. That is why Jesus addresses the ten others in verses 42 through 45, saying, look, that the greatest is going to be the least, and the least is going to be the greatest, and that you need to be servant of all, slave of all, and to give your life over for others. And in our day and age, we are no different than the disciples. We are a people full of ambition, who crave accomplishment, acceptance, affirmation, and sometimes even prominence, if not recognition. No doubt the self is king in our world, as it always has been. Fierce individualism is the default position, and this has led to more and more people turning away from the Christian faith, or at least organized religion, for answers to life's questions. They would prefer to go their own way. A lot of sociologists have tried to point out that we are an increasingly secular society. People are becoming less religious. And yet, what nearly everyone seeks in life are things that we would call spiritual. Joy, peace, contentment, happiness. It might be better said that people are looking for spiritual fulfillment by ways of non-spiritual and individualistic means. And so how is our ambition manifested? How do we seek out fulfillment? How do we find acceptance? How do we seek out contentment and peace and joy? Well, there is a lot of currency of power in our community. It may be your family, whether that is your family name or who your family are or were. It may be that you're living through other family members, uh, your children, uh, your spouse. It may simply be money. Uh, Money is a means to be able to get what you want in life. It might indeed be looks. Uh, I was diagnosed with melanoma several years ago, and so I go to the dermatologist a lot. And uh, I recently uh, received an email from my dermatologist, and the subject line was, come and try Buddy Botox. And I thought, what are they saying about me? Uh, But also, I looked, and what it is is if you bring a buddy along, you get half off your Botox treatments. Well, why do people, why do they send those emails? 
Because people want to look younger. They want to project this idea of, of youth. And often we equate youth with beauty. And we are mistaken. It may be where you live. It might be that you're a member of an organization that you think might take you to the next level. It may even be the church you go to. I had a young man who had recently joined a law firm downtown here who came into my office and sat on my couch and said, you know, I don't really uh, give two hoots about this whole Jesus thing, but I really want to join the Advent because I feel it would be advantageous, advantageous for my career. Well, we talked about that a little bit as to why that is, but certainly a means to an end. Here's a pledge card. Just kidding. <laughs> it may be accomplishment. It may be the sum of your deeds. But whatever it is that you're doing in your life, we're all trying to project an image of ourselves that says, look, I'm great. Things are okay. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. Probably the greatest representation of this in our culture is Facebook, Instagram, any sort of social media. And when you look at Facebook, rather than making us better on the road to perfection, it accomplishes the opposite. A competition erupts where it is not an attempt at being more put together than our neighbors, but at least seeming that we are more put together. I was very disheartened this week to read a lengthy article in the New York Post, which I never, ever read and very rarely recommend. But they really did an in-depth study on a couple things that have happened over Facebook. And one of the most startling was the story of Kirsten Cervany, who was a beautiful, accomplished uh, doctor, wife, mother of three little children, who was found dead in the stairwell of an unfamiliar New York apartment building from an apparent drug overdose. And what alarmed most family and friends is the apparent contradiction between her projected life lived out on Facebook and other social media and her real life. Increasingly, most of us are living two lives, the article continues, one online, one off. And studies show that this makes us more vulnerable to depression, loneliness, and low self-worth. In 2013, scientists at two German universities monitored, monitored 584 Facebook users and found one out of three would feel worse after checking what their friends were up to, especially if those friends had just posted vacation photos. But even the smaller details have the same effect. Overall, wrote the study's authors, shared content does not have to be, quote, explicitly boastful for feelings of envy to emerge. In fact, a lonely user might envy numerous birthday wishes that his more sociable peer receives on his Facebook wall. Equally, a friend's change in the relationship status from single to in a relationship might cause emotional havoc for someone undergoing a breakup. A 2014 survey conducted by the Manhattan-based marketing agency Current found 61% of millennial moms were rattled by the pressures of social media. She wrote, moms, especially current young moms, are feeling pressured to present a perfect life and starting to feel overwhelmed and annoyed. Take Madison Holleran, a beautiful Ivy League student, star athlete, and all-around popular girl. 
Her Instagram account only underscored this image. Parties, friends, track meets, her dad cheering her on. But Madison was keenly aware of the difference between her online life and her real one. She once corrected her mother who told ESPN the magazine that after looking at Madison's photos, she turned to her daughter and said, Madison, you look so happy at this party. Mom, Madison said, it's just a picture. On January 14, 2014, Madison posted a photo of trees strung with beautiful twinkling lights, bulbs glowing against the twilight. An hour later, after posting that photo, she jumped to her death from the ninth floor of a parking garage. She was 19 years old. Now, I am not saying go home and delete your Facebook pages and shut down your Instagram accounts. Even if you did, our hearts would find another way to pursue our own ambitions, to project that we've got it all together in our lives. Last week, I said that there were two ways in the Bible that one could be saved. One is the more obvious that if you've sat here for any sermon at the Advent, you've heard. That is to put your complete and total trust in Jesus Christ in his saving death and resurrection. And you will be saved. And you will have victory over death and the grave. The other way is to live a perfect life. A life without sin. Make the myth of your Facebook page a reality. In the old prayer book, the Confession of Sin for Morning Prayer had the little term, miserable offenders. Well, when they edited it, they took it out because it just sounded too heavy. But it wasn't saying, oh, we're miserable offenders. But it was stating the fact of life, that if you know all too well the burden of trying to be perfect in a world that demands it and projecting an image that is not you, you know what it feels like to be miserable. Jack Kerouac has a wonderful line from one of his poems, and it says, Whatever it is, I quit. Jesus invites us to quit this morning, to quit our vain ambitions, for even if we are to be able to accomplish everything that we seek out to do, we will still be feeling left empty. Jesus says that he has come to serve and not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. What does it look like to be a servant in our world? It means reaching out and not leaving people to themselves. It means being transparent. It means being vulnerable. It means us giving over ourselves to one another. But if we want to be those kinds of servants, we first have to know the master servant the one who has come to ransom your life. It's very interesting that Jesus would use that word ransom. Something has been taken, not rightly, but has been stolen, taken away, kidnapped. 
And a ransom must be paid. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how much we accumulate, we can't afford the price tag. We can't pay the ransom on our own. We can't even make it to first base. But Jesus has. He has purchased your life back. He has bought it back from darkness and destruction and has given us light and life. And so in this world that demands perfection and allows us not to show any vulnerability, but cheers us on to even vain ambition, this morning let us ask ourselves, is Jesus' goodness enough for us? Is his perfection, is his sinlessness enough for us? Is the Lord our righteousness, our identity? For you are God's great ambition. That is what he seeks out. He seeks out you and longs to save you from this broken and sinful world. Indeed, even your Facebook life. Amen.